Hi, this is the podcast channel of Lighthouse Church in Ottawa, Canada. We are a family. We don't do life alone. We are about the one, each and every one. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Our hope and prayer is always for life change. Here is today's message. Be blessed as you listen. My name is Deji. I'm privileged to serve on team here at Lighthouse Church. And we start a new series today titled Money Matters. Money Matters. So I'll do a quick, brief introduction. I don't consider this to be a full sermon today, but we'll see how that goes. And we will take it on for the rest of the month. Hmm. How many of you liked the baggage series? How many of you did not like the baggage series? <laughs> it was a problem. It was a problem. Matthew chapter 24 from verse 14 to 30. Long reading. That's where I'll start off today. Is it 24 or 25? It shouldn't be 24. 25. Matthew 25. I'm reading from the New Living Translation today. I did announce this morning at Team Rally. Shout out to all our team members, by the way, everyone who serves on team. We appreciate you guys. You guys are amazing. We celebrate you indeed. But I did announce at Team Rally as well that on the 26th of November, it's Saturday, I will be having, hosting here a camp meeting, what we call a camp meeting. It's really just a full day of teaching, praying, Bible study, interactions, questions, worship, all dimensions, and without the limitation of a Sunday service. And if you feel like you are called to spend extended periods of time in God's presence, you should be here. Uh, start, at, start at 10 a.m. and would end no later than 6 p.m. And you cannot come. What did I say? I said I was going to give grace till 10.15. 10.15. If you come at 10.15, we'll let you in. At 10.16, um, you will not be allowed. Okay? <laughs> People are praying for me right now. <laughs> it's just the way it is. Sorry. All right, Matthew 25. Let's read um, from verse 14. The Bible says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. <laughs> his money. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. 16. The servants who received five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work, <laughs> work, and earned two more. But the servants who received one bag of silver, he dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. Hmm. Don't forget that verse. The master returned from his trip, called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. 
you have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. Now, look at this joker. <laughs> this is how you talk to your master. <laughs> You're a harsh man. Okay, I was afraid that I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. <laughs> but the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, if you knew that I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have had some interest on it. Then he ordered, then he ordered, take the money from the servant, give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so the theme of our series is Money Matters, and I introduce the theme today with a topic called Servants, Owners, and Stewards. Servants, owners, and stewards. Can you say that with me? Servants, owners, can we say that in one accord? Servants, owners, still not one accord. One to go. Sounds better. Um, and so really the theme is, it has a dual application, right? Money matters. First application is we obviously get to talk about money matters, money issues, okay? Second application is the fact that money actually does matter, okay? Money actually does matter. And that's why I want to start out today because God's plan for us is all around dominion. I struggle, I must confess, a lot of times with understanding the spirituality around finances because when we say we're doing a series called Money Matters, for many people, if you've been in church for a while, you get very suspicious, right? Like, yeah, what is coming? <laughs> you know what I mean? And why is this spiritual? Like, can you imagine a whole series and they put cents on the board, <laughs> on the screen? But the truth of the matter is that God's plan is all around dominion, all around dominion. What we are comfortable with as Christians, New Testament Christians, or I would say present-day believers, is being having spiritual dominion. You're comfortable with speaking tongues, casting out devils, that's dominion, but that's spiritual dominion, that's one angle. But there are other forms of dominion that God expects us to have. For example, political power is a form of dominion. You know that, right? You can speak tongues and you can have people in government that don't like Jesus, and they will put laws in place that will hinder the work of Jesus. So God expects that there will be Christians, kingdom-minded people in politics, in government. All right, you find a man like Daniel in the Bible. You find people like Esther in government. All right. The reason why God does that is because there are different forms of dominion. If all we do, and I've said this before, is speak tongues, we would not be able to maximize our potential as children of God. Does that make sense? Do you agree with me? Absolutely. There's intellectual power. Those guys who are inventing stuff right now are controlling the world. And so there's some inventions that God needs to put in the hands of Christians. All right. The wisdom of God. You saw that manifest even in the life of Daniel as well, or Solomon. God gave him wisdom. That's intellectual power. So tongues is not enough. And another form of power is financial power, believe it or not. Money has power, folks. All right? Money has power. 
And we're going to talk about that today. The Bible says that the rich, Proverbs 20, 22 and verse 7, it says that the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. That's a very powerful statement in scripture, but it's the truth. All right? The rich rules over the poor, the borrower is servant to the lender. So if the body of Christ is poor, we might enjoy God's presence. We will come, we enjoy the Holy Spirit, but when we go out there, we will be servants to the lender. Does that make sense? So finances is just as spiritual as tongues. That's what I'm trying to say. And I must say that, for the most part, Christians have missed a lot of things when it comes to their finances, either because they don't have an understanding, and so we find ourselves in places where we're not able to exercise financial dominion. And I'll tell you that financial dominion is a kind of dominion indeed, and I'll explain that to you in a bit. So money actually matters. Money affects many areas of our lives. Money affects families. One of the leading causes for divorce is because of money issues in families. Money affects your family. Money affects your health. Money, if you're broke, you get stressed out. If you're broke, you get stressed out. All right? Start having all kinds of strange, you know, things. It affects your health. It affects everything. It affects your ability to pursue your dreams. All right? There are many people whose dreams would never be able to be pursued because they don't have the resources. Not because they don't. There are many people right now that the reason why they're doing what they're doing in this season of their life is because they do not have the funds to do what they would rather do. Do you understand that? Money is important. Money actually does matter. Many decisions are made because of money. As a matter of fact, most of the decisions you make, the first thing you consider is the financial impact of the decision in most cases. Uh, what job to take, um, what course to study. I remember for me, I'm a classic example. When I was going to study my undergrad, I decided I was going to study chemical engineering. The reason was simple. I wanted to make money. Nothing else. I, I wasn't interested in calculus. I just thought, okay, you know what? There's some oil and gas industries you know, in my home country. I will make money. Two years into this course, I, I, was, I was swearing. <laughs> I said, I don't know who sent me. This is not, I had no passion for it whatsoever. Never one day have I used that degree. <laughs> never. Not one day. All right. Um, I've never used it in my whole life. But imagine that. Some of you invest seven years. You want to be a doctor because you want to make money. Seven years is a long time to invest, you know? And so money does matter. A lot of decisions people make centers around money. You know, I, I said this before, and I've said this before, I say it again, that there, there are people in the world today who have more potential. They're brighter than Elon Musk, brighter than Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and all these people. But because they were born in poor families, the world would never see their potential. Right? I'm telling you, some of these poor kids, you see them on TV, you know, CNN and all these places that are trying to raise money. Put some sickly looking child, and you look at that child, and all you feel for that child is pity. But you don't know it's possible that in that child is the next Steve Jobs. But that potential will never come out, will never find expression because there's a lack of funds. It's a lack of funds. So money is actually important. People do terrible things for money. Families sell their children to go serve other families because they can't afford to feed them. All right? And, and so money does play a very important role in our lives. And that's why we need to talk about it. We need to address the concept of money from a kingdom point of view. Okay? How does God view money? What are the principles that God has put in place in our kingdom for us to have financial abundance and have financial dominion and all that stuff? Many destinies will not be realized because of financial limitation. Trust me. There are many of you here right now, what you're doing in your life, if you had a choice, you'll be doing something else. Do you understand? There's some of you right now, you're burnt out. 
the healthy thing for you to do is to take two months off and go to a beach somewhere, Punta Cana, or Turks and Caicos. Look at blue water, put your feet up, enjoy the all-inclusive results. But uh, you try that. <laughs> you try that. Your landlord will be waiting for you <laughs> as soon as you arrive from the vacation. You can't do that. You have to work. Why? You have to pay the bills. Many have died because of a lack of money. There are countries in the world where the infant mortality rate is really high because of poverty. Can you imagine that? Lives lost because money is not available. There are people who fall sick and their families have to sit down and have discussions and say, this operation is going to cost certain amounts of money. Uh, we don't want it. Can you imagine making life and death decisions because of money? And a human being passes on and you say it was the will of God. We say it was the will of God. Whereas that person in another family would have survived and it was the will of God. It was the will of God. Money is important. Money actually matters is what I'm trying to say. Another reason why money matters, and I think when we start to talk about it from a kingdom point of view, is because the Bible actually says to us that we cannot serve God and money. And mammon, actually, that's what the Bible says. Let's read that. It's a very important scripture. <sighs> Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Matthew 6, 24. <clears throat> the Bible says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. The New Living Translation actually says it best. It says, you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Do you understand that? Hmm. The Bible is not saying you cannot have money and serve God. Because that's what some of you think, that poverty is a sign of spirituality. I assure you, it is not. It is, it is not. It is only a sign of suffering. Um, it's not a sign of spirituality, I assure you. And I have to put balance here because there are seasons in your life where you go through insufficiency because God is trying to build character in you. But a protracted season of poverty is not the will of God for, ch for children of God. All right? So the Bible says that, my point is, money actually matters because money has the power to enslave you. That's, the, that's where I'm really going. That money has the capacity to ensnare you. I know, I know that sounds like a very strange, a very strong word, but the truth of the matter is this. If money is the first thing you think about before you make decisions, money is your master. If you cannot make decisions and say, forget the financial consequences, then money is a master to you. If money dictates what you can do and can't do, money is a master to you. If money dictates when you wake up in the morning, so if you wake up at 5 a.m. to go to a job you hate, you hate it terribly, money is a master. So money has the capacity to enslave you. That's one of the reasons why we must talk about money because from God's point of view, by the way, this is a very important scripture and, and an interesting one, I must say. Don't have all the time today because the Bible says that you would love one and hate the other. And I'm wondering, why so extreme? Because, but that's the reason is because with God, there is no middle ground. It, <laughs> with God, if you don't love God, you hate God. That's how God, you might think you're indifferent. There's no indifference towards God. From his point of view, just for context. From God's point of view, if you read scripture, you see that he, you're either righteous or he calls you wicked. I'm going, can there not be a middle ground? Why do I have to be righteous or wicked? Can I just, just be okay, normal? There's no such thing as normal. You're either righteous or you're wicked. The Bible says, because thou hast loved righteousness and hated wickedness. With God, there, God is an absolute because his standards are straight. Once there's a deviation. And so the Bible says, our righteousness is like a filthy rag. So all of us, the one who, who's a killer on death row. And the one who 
they gave extra change at Tim Hortons and refused to return it. (laughs) From God's point of view, your righteousness is like a filthy rag. You're all, it doesn't make sense. So it's very extreme, but that's just the way God thinks. Not the way we think, but that's how God thinks. The Bible says you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. To money. In my house, my wife, it drives her crazy. Okay. When we start talking and we start having long conversations, I would now say, after a while, I'll stop and I'll say, it appears that all our problems can be solved with a little bit more money. And she goes crazy. She hates when I say that. She's like, so everything I've been saying to you since, that's all you have to say. I'm like, yeah, because at the end of the day, all this conversation we're having is just because we're not Bill Gates. I don't think Bill Gates is having this kind of conversation in his house. You know what I mean? And it's true. You want to go on vacation and you're looking at... I say, I reject that life. <laughs> it will not be me and Jesus there. <laughs> it will not be you too. All right? Money can ensnare. Money can ensnare. Money can ensnare. God actually desires for you to have, to be prosperous financially. I know that for many Christians, you might not be sure of this, but I need you to be sure of this. Don't use scripture to explain something that is not the will of God. Because we, you, don't forget that the Bible is a very tricky book. You can take a lot of things out of context and validate anything you want to believe. Do you understand that? But it's actually God's desire for you to be prosperous. And, and I'll give you a couple of examples. When Genesis chapter 12, when God calls Abraham, God says to him, get out of your father's house. Abraham is the first man that God actually starts the redemptive work with his agenda, he triggers something in Abraham. And he says, get out of your father's house, of your country, of your kindred. He says, to a land that I will show you, right? He says, then I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless you and you will be a blessing. Genesis chapter 12 from verse 1 to 3. And the Bible says, and Abraham departed as the Lord had said. And so when you think about that, the Bible says, I will bless you. That's a little ambiguous because the blessings of God is multidimensional, right? Right? Blessings of God can mean health, it can mean everything, right? But when you get to Genesis chapter 13 and verse 2, you start to see the tributaries, all right, the expressions of God's blessing. The Bible says, and Abraham was very rich in livestock, in gold, and in silver. So this, there's no more ambiguity about one of the, one, not all, one of the manifestations of the blessings of God was he became very rich. You have to understand, Abraham did not pray to be rich. It was God's idea that Abraham would have sufficiency. You have to understand that. This was God's idea. Because all of us think that the reason why I want to do well is because I desire. No, God actually wants it for you more than you want it for yourself. He does. He does. I don't see any father that would take pleasure, right, in looking at his children having insufficiency or in lack or in want. That's not the will of God. It doesn't bring God glory that a church is evicted from their building because they can't parent. Do you understand that? How, is that? how is that a testimony? It's not a testimony. So it's, it's embedded in God's covenant agenda is a blessing that is a financial blessing. All the time, it was God that initiated it. God's people never had to pray, bless us financially. He put it, he wrote it into the, the contract. If you're diligent and you obey all that I said to you to do, he says that you will lend to nations. You will not borrow. That was God's idea. I'll set you on high. Genesis, um, Deuteronomy 28. I'll set you on high above all the nations of the world. You will lend to nations. You will not borrow. 
It was God's idea. So God wants you to do well. Abraham did well. Isaac prospered. Prospered so much that an entire nation envied him. Jacob prospered. Jacob prospered. The children of Israel, God's chosen people, when they were to leave Egypt, don't forget that they had been in Egypt for 430 years. When they were to leave Egypt, God said to them, I will give you, this is, don't forget again, God initiated. God initiated this. They did not initiate this. They were just ready to leave Egypt. God says, no, 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 no. You will not go empty-handed. I will give these people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And so they would go to their Egyptian neighbors and ask for articles of clothing and silver and gold. And the Bible says that God gave them everything. So when they left Egypt, they left rich. God's idea, not theirs. Not theirs. So God's desire is for us to have financial dominion and abundance. But the reason, which is where I'm going today, why many of us don't have financial dominion and abundance is because of the mentality we have around money. The mentality we have around finances or our relationship with money. And as I said, the subject of my teaching today is servants, owners, and stewards. You can either be a servant to money, you can be an owner of money, or you can be a steward of money. Now, depending on where you fall in that spectrum, it would dictate the kind of outlook you have financially, all right, as a child of God. So let me just say this off the bat, that 99% of Christians, in my own view, fall into the first category, servants of money, because money dictates what they do, because they cannot make decisions without thinking money first. They've not gotten to that point where they can make decisions without the, mon the monetary consideration. As a matter of fact, it's scary that if, let's assume, let's assume that you get a new job. The job is paying you $500,000 a year. Amen. And then the day before you start this job, Angel Gabriel appears to you and says, I have come from the throne of God. The Lord says to tell you, you shall not take this job. You shall go and become a missionary in Afghanistan. What would you do? <laughs> it's the enemy. <laughs> she said it's the enemy. <laughs> it's the enemy. The, 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 the enemy has come for me. You will banish, you will cast, <laughs> show your ID card. <laughs> Prove to me you came from the presence of God. Show me where you came from. I want to see. All of us, many of us, in fact, 90, all of us, all of us, forget, let's not lie. We'll tell God, look, call me where I'm going to work. I'll be a missionary in that place. I would serve you. In, you, know, you know the reason why is because the financial consideration is hefty. And this is the truth. The truth is that many of us, remember that guy, the rich young ruler? God said to him, Jesus said, follow me. He says, but before you follow me, sell everything you have. <laughs> and the Bible says, the man went away sorrowful. 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 By the way, theologians suspect that that man was probably Barnabas, who later on in the New Testament came and gave his land to the church. Okay? But that aside, your relationship with money. Are you a servant of money? Do you serve money? Does money dictate what you do and don't do? Does money dictate your mood? You know how <laughs> you were all excited in the morning and then you opened your TD app at like 2 p.m. and one transaction, like maybe your rent has just wiped out 
the bulk of, and all of a sudden, you just become sober. You become very spiritual. Just saying, the Lord is good. <laughs> God is watching over me. Your mood, does your mood change with what's the balance in your account? Be honest. Do you feel more secure when you have money in the bank? Of course. Of course. So for many of those, many of, many of us that fall into that category, who serve money, we work for money. We, money, money is a major factor in the things that we consider. It's one of the first things that actually comes up. You think about something, and the first thing you think about is not, is this God's will for me? Is, can I afford it? Or is it financially beneficial for me? Okay? Money is guiding the decisions that you make. That you make. I think many of us start out here, but the idea is that you don't remain there. There is a progression with God. You don't remain there. And then you have those who have an ownership mentality of money. I'll call these people people who have abundance. All your general needs, you might not be Bill Gates, but your needs are met. And you have leftover. Do you understand that? That's a good life, right? Yeah, you can pay your bills without looking at the balance in the account. People that have you know, that have money are not particularly looking at the app every day. They just know that there's enough there, no matter what enters. You understand? Yeah. yeah. That's capacity. So they have money. They can buy whatever they want. Go to a car, um, a car dealership, you see a car that you like, you don't need a mortgage or I mean a loan. You just buy it and you walk out. And you don't have to say, let me come back in two weeks. Let me move things around. Is that not a good life? Come on now, guys. Is that not a good life? That's a good life. That's a good life. When you start carrying calculator in your back pocket, you're not an owner. You're still serving. You're still serving money. Owners have, they have enough. They need, their needs are met. Truly, their needs are met. Their basic needs are met. They can go on vacation on the spot. You just look and say, what's the next flight? Okay, we're going. It's a good place. You receive it, right? Soft life. Soft life. You can do whatever you need to do with money. Your needs are met. You're not under financial pressure. Um, I'll go to stewardship and I'll come back to ownership. And the person who has come to a stewardship relationship with money is one that understands that God owns the money in my care. Okay? It's different from an owner. The difference is that an owner has everything that he needs, might even be generous, but God's agenda will not find full expression through his life. An owner is still enslaved to money in a certain way where they're still thinking that if I lose this money, I don't want to go back to where I used to be. I remember where I used to be. And so they're very possessive about money. Some of you, you can lose friendships because of money. I lent you $200. You never paid me back. What is $200 in the scheme of things? The problem is that you don't have enough. That's why. And by the way, there are people who have enough, but they have, they're still ensnared by money in the sense that <laughs> they cannot let things go, even if it's financial. Some people say, everything is okay, but don't play with my money. Have you heard people say that? Like, say, once you start playing with my money, we're going to have a problem. Why is money more serious than other things? Why can someone play with your food <laughs> and not your money? You know what I mean? 
in an ownership mentality, you have enough. But God's, God's plan, God's agenda will never find full expression through your life. Through your life. So, a servant of money, money has them. An owner of money has money. A steward of money, God has money in your hands. And when you come into a place of stewardship, there is, a, there is a perspective that you sustain as a steward. And it's different from an owner. You have a sense of responsibility when you're a steward. Like the story we read. The Bible says that the master came back to see how they had used his money in their hands. And this is the truth. As Christians, children of God, by the way, everything you have, you're a steward of. Including your life. As a matter of fact, so let's argue from the greater to the lesser. If God owns your life, he owns everything else. You can't say, God, take my life, but don't touch my money. Do you understand that? Take my life, but don't touch my time. You can't. It's all of you. That's what stewardship is. You, you, you have a mentality that God has, God, you live for him. So God owns everything. Your life, your children, your time, all that. And stewardship is the way to supernatural prosperity. Financial principles can get you to a place of ownership. But in terms of stewardship, that is where God himself gets involved in your finances. Okay? And starts to help you financially because you are a steward. It's his money. You're just increasing your capacity to take in more. And think about it. You said amen when I said 500000 So let's assume that you earn $500,000 a year. Amen? And you earn $500,000 a year. I'm God. I'm not. Or for the ma- <laughs> just for the sake of conversation. And then whenever God comes to you, he can always get like 100000 from you. Because you're a good steward of his money. When he comes to you, <laughs> he can only get 10000 from you. Because of your stewardship. You have the same capacity. He's giving you the same amount of blessings. But because of your stewardship, you have less to return to the master. Who do you think God is more invested in going forward? You, right? Naturally. Right. And when we say that, it makes you think, well, is that how God thinks? Yes, the scripture is clear about that. That God never wastes his resources. And the Bible says that he that has even more will be committed to him. But to him that does not have, even what they have will be taken away. So I tell people all the time, if you have a mentality around finances that is stewardship, you will manage money well. You will live your life on margin. And uh, listen, when I say live your life on margin, I'm not saying live your life on margin just so that you have savings and investments, which you should, and I'll talk about that next week. But with the mentality that if the master comes with a need, I must have something to offer. That's why you live on margin. So I tell people all the time, at the end of the day, I live on margin. And the reason why I live on margin is because I don't ever want a time to come when God says, I need something. And the way God has needs, by the way, if you read scripture, it's not just about the church. Sometimes you go to the grocery store and you can see a single mother who's like taking things out of their cart at the till. As a kingdom person, that is a need that God has in that moment. You should be able to say, don't worry, I've got this. And do it in such a way that you still don't have to go and press calculator. Do you understand that? Why? Because you've lived your life knowing that one day God is going to ask something of me. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It might be your friend who's struggling to pay off their tuition. And here you are 
you're all done, you are moving on with life, things are going well for you. And, when, and you see, and when these things come up in our lives as Christians, the truth is many times we say things like, I wish I had the money to help. And it's true, we do wish we had the money to help. The reason why you don't have the money to help is because you were not a good steward of the money you have. You never thought about the fact that God might need something. And so let me plan for what God needs. Stewardship is about responsibility. It's about responsibility. So God will come and assess you. He will look at your life. He will, he will observe how you handle money. He'll observe your mindset around money. And if you have a stewardship mentality around money, God will put more in your hands. Let me tell you this, that spiritual principles work. I can tell you that I've seen that work. When God can trust you, he will put money into your hands. In everything. In everything. The most spiritual things, even. If God looks at you, if God gives you three people to pastor, and you start complaining and you don't pastor them well, he will not give you ten. The moment your capacity for efficiency stops, that's where you stop growing. It's as simple as that. God does not commit his resources. The Bible says, do not cast your pearl to swine. Do you understand that? So you can work for money, and you can make a lot of money. You can meet your needs. But in terms of getting God's hand involved in your life financially, you need to be a steward. You need to be a good steward of money. Many people have a heart for God. Truly, if they could, they would do. But the, truth, the reason why you can't do most times is because you didn't plan to do. Do you understand? When you do your budget, how many of you write God as a tab? You write tithe, which is great. Thank God for that. <laughs> but over and above your tithe, do you really write when God comes calling, I want to have something? You know, the key to stewardship is, one of the keys, I'll talk more about stewardship next week, is simplicity, contentment, and modesty. Many people... And I love, I love Canada in the sense that no matter what level you are, you might earn 40000 or 30000 a year, you can earn 200000 a year. Everybody can live a good life. Do you know that? You just have to be what? Content at your level. Everybody can live a good life. I mean a good life meaning that you have the basics of life. You have a roof over your head and you have leftovers and you can still do a vacation. I love when I interact with my um, Caucasian friends. They're much better at this than us. They live on margin. It's you that you, you go and buy a car that is driving you. You know what it means when your car is driving you. You're not driving the car. The car is driving your life. When you pay your car payment and your insurance, you start sweating bullets. Why? Why? First and foremost, if you're doing it because you want to impress people, nobody cares. No, 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 nobody cares. I assure you, well, I don't. I don't. It doesn't matter to me what you drive. You will never be treated differently for what you drive or what you put on. But if you live your life on margin, you will live with dignity. You live well. You, your clothes might be from Walmart, but it's all good. Some of you are like, God forbid. That's your baggage. That's a problem. What's wrong with that? You should always have excess. Not just for savings, which you should but also what does God need in any season? And your capacity will be different. But when he sees your heart, I heard someone say this, that you don't, some people say, when I have a lot of money, I'll have a budget. No, you will not. You don't grow big to manage well. You manage well to grow big. 
Do you understand that? If you're not managing well at your level, you will not manage well when you have more. Because all of a sudden, you move from sixty dollars to $90,000 a year, and you start saying, I hate my roommates. I hate their guts. <laughs> my neighbor's food is irritating me. So you move from that place. You add another $700 to a new house. And then your car. I'm hearing sounds. All of a sudden, your Corolla is useless. You now need a German car. A Mercedes. You get a Mercedes. Okay. The vacation you used to go before, I can't do four-star anymore. Five-star. So you realize that your income has grown, but you have less or even the same as you had before. You manage well to grow big. You don't do it the other way around. I learned this more recently, more than a few years ago, when I started to plan on margin. Because I can do something doesn't mean I will do it. Think about it, guys. Some of us are, you get the, the, the feeling, you, know, you, you enjoy that feeling, you go out, you go shopping and all that. And that, not wrong with that, by the way, please. I'm talking about what, know your own capacity. Okay, please, there's nothing wrong with that. Enjoy your life and do the right things. And you get that feeling, you've spent money, you bought new clothes and all that. And then after a while, you start to pay the price for what you've done, right? But when you live on margin, there's always something you have to give. It might be $30, $50. You can always be a blessing to people. It's not because you earn too much money. People think that, oh, generous people are the people who earn a lot of money. No, it's because you plan to be generous. And this is how you get God's hand involved in your life. When there are needs around, you know, around my life, I always tell God, God, don't help me to have to give. I might not be able to meet all the needs, but let me have something to contribute. Let me have something to put down. Because, because, <laughs> the Bible says that he that gives to the poor lends to God. That's how you get God's supernatural hand involved in your matter. So I always encourage you, and I've said this to you before, if you're a member of this house, you hear my heart about this. Please live right. Make all the right decisions financially. I heard someone say this the other day um, as, a, as a closeout, that if you invest $100 a month, just $100, that's like four Uber rides, right? Depending on where you're going. <laughs> if you invest $100 a month, every month, from the moment, from the age of 25, when you're 65, you would have a million dollars. This is not a miracle. This is not, you don't need to pray about this. Do you understand that? This is just simple compound interest and time. So, but if you start investing $100 when you're 35, 35, so 10 years later, $100. By the time you're 65, you know how much you have? $300,000. $300,000. Just imagine what 10 years of time wasted. Some of you, you're, maybe you're still students and you have a job. Your parents are paying your tuition. This is the time to start early. Live with the mentality of, I want to be a blessing. I want to have abundance. By the way, if you have a scarcity mindset around money, you need to have a reorientation. Money is not scarce. If you grew up in a house where they told you money doesn't grow on trees, and I know most of you did, you, you tell your parents, I want to go to Harvard, and the first thing they have to respond to you is that, where are we going to get the money? What kind of, think about that. Is that okay? God doesn't have a, there's no scarcity of money. God does not have a scarcity mindset. We do. We do. So I want to pastor a church where everybody lives well. 
Everybody has to give and to be a blessing. If you've been with us for, I don't know, a number of years now, that you are on your way to being a millionaire. And it doesn't get to your head. And it's not to make a point. I always tell people, you can't, like, you say, oh, pastor, I bought a new car. Whether I dedicate a Bentley or I dedicate a Corolla, it makes no difference to me. I will even judge you if you have a Bentley, if you don't have certain things in your life. I'm just telling you. Do you understand that? Yeah. If you're doing well, you're doing very well. Of course, there's nothing wrong with that. But many people drive cars that are driving them. Many people buy houses that they can't sleep inside. You know that? You buy a house and your sleep disappears from you. From the day you close the house, your sleep has left you. You start hearing sounds at night. <laughs> so we're going to talk about it next week. More practical steps as to how to be a better steward of your finances and God's plan for your finances. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe to our podcast channel. If you want to be a blessing to others, share the message. To stay connected, download our app and follow us on Instagram at Lighthouse Church Ottawa. We love you.